Last week we looked at Revelation chapter 5 and we saw the one who was worthy to open the book with the seven seals and what, what an awesome experience that will be or you could say seeing that will be in heaven. You know, as John saw it, there was no one in heaven, earth, or under the earth that qualified or that will qualify to, to open that book. But there was the one, right? the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb that has been slain. He was worthy and he is worthy to open the book, uh, which in itself, it brings about, well, kind of like Winston Churchill said, the beginning of the end. Or no, no, he said the end of the beginning. That's more the beginning of the end. Anyway. But he is worthy to open that book. And of course, once that, the book with the seven seals opened, it kind of starts the process that ends with the establishment of his kingdom upon earth. And that's what we're, what we're looking forward to. But something we considered last week is that even though we often refer to Christ as the lion and the lamb, you know, it's, it's the lion that opens the seals, but it's the lamb that qualified him to do so. You know, in Philippians 2 and verse 8, it says, Being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself, he became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. That's the lamb. You know, that's Jesus as our lamb. He submitted himself to becoming the lamb of God, the sacrifice that took away the sins of the world. But then, as we go on in verse 9, it says, Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every other name. That's the lion. So he's exalted, and now he reigns as the lion of Judah, and he's coming again. Right? The lion has conquered. He's worthy to open the seals. He's going to come triumphantly to reign. But you know, as we considered last week, it was because he was the lamb and is the lamb. You know, even now in heaven, when you read about that, it's, it's the lamb that receives the, the glory and the praise. You know, J- John sees the multitudes in heaven praising God. And, and, it, and we can read these verses that we read last week in Revelation 5.11. It says, I behold, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the beasts and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. And so you can kind of, John is giving us that picture of an ocean of people just surrounding the throne of God, worshiping and praising him. And what are they saying? Verse 12, they say, they're saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's going to be our song for all eternity. And we're going to be worshiping the lamb. The lamb is never forgotten or supplanted by the lion. It's just the lion is another aspect of himself we're always going to be worshiping the lamb. You know, worthy is the lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength. It, the lamb receives everything because that is how he was found worthy because he gave himself as that sacrifice. Another thought we see about the lamb, just before we go on to the lion today, but I wanted to, I was just kind of thinking about how what our goals as Christians are. And here's, 
uh, one of our goals that's mentioned in Revelation 19 and verse 7. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Have you ever thought about that? Why isn't it called the marriage of the lion? It's the marriage of the lamb. That's who we are to be joined with. And, you know, our goal as believers is to come to glory in our personal lives for God to work his uh, glory in us and through us to make ourselves, as it says, the wife has made herself ready. That we allow God to work in us and we make ourselves ready as a bride for her bridegroom, becoming beautiful and in the eyes of Christ and allowing his beauty to be worked in us. And one of the ways that we can become beautiful is to become as the lamb. How can we be joined with as the bride joined to the lamb? Well, a, a bridegroom wants someone who's like him, who has the same heart, the same desire. And so we need to make one of the main goals of our life. Lord, make me like the lamb to follow you wherever you lead and to have your nature put within me. Sometimes I I look at myself or in situations and responses like, Lord, that was more like the wolf than the lamb. I, I need some work done. But we need that transformation. The ultimate glory is the marriage of the lamb. Well, now he's also coming as the lion. And thank God he's coming as the lion of Judah and he's just going to defeat all his enemies. You know, John wept when he saw no one was worthy to open that book, but it said in, back in Revelation 5 and verse 5, it said, Weep not, because the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed to open the book. And he will break those seals and he's going to bring the events of the last days to pass. Nothing can stop those events. Satan is going to try to stop them, but there's nothing he can do against the lion. You know, he's a, he's a little something there thinking that he can stop the lion, but nothing can come against him. The lion is going to open that. And so Christ is the lion of Judah. One thing we know about the lion, we call him, you know, as uh, we in reference, we call him the king of the beasts, right? Uh, why do we say that, the king of the beasts? Well, in a sense, it's really there's not a lot of other animals that concern a lion, right? If you see a parade of animals walking by, a lion looks at him and he doesn't say, oh, yikes, I better get out of here. He looks at him and says, ooh, dinner, you know, he's the king. Nothing really bothers him. There might be some animals bigger or something like that, but they don't bother him. There's nothing he's concerned about. They go as they please. They're utterly uh, free from fear of predators. You know, we've probably seen some pictures of uh, lions or, you know, videos, maybe a National Geographic of lions. And they're, what are they doing is they're just lounging. When they're not hunting, they're just lounging in the sun and just kind of relaxing or rolling, like without a care in the world but that's the nature. At the same time, you see other animals constantly wary. They're looking out for other animals, predators, because they, those animals might want them as lunch. And so they're, you know, they're careful. Well, the question is, which animal would you rather be? I think I'd rather be like the lion, resting at peace, being able to sleep, 
You know, the Bible talks about how we can have that opportunity as we live as a lion with God because he's the lion that opens the door for us to become as the lion and have that peace and have that strength and that confidence in God. Now, where does the Bible say that? There's a little verse in Proverbs. We can look at Proverbs 28, verse 1. Here's the, here's the mindset of the wicked. Even though they might put on a good show and a brave face, it says the wicked flee even when no man pursues them. Because ultimately the wicked are fearful because there's no security, there's no foundation in a life of wickedness, which in, in definition, really, you could say that's a lot of things, but really it's a life without God. A life of wickedness is really comes down to a life without God. Without God is our foundation. Even though they could be good people, we say that with quotation marks, but we can't be good without God. And so that's our state. We flee when even when no one's pursuing us because we hear a sound and we're off. Sometimes I, I got to be careful. We got these little kittens. And if I make a loud sound, especially if I sneeze, I'm a loud sneezer. And so I kind of have to cover their ears. And they, but if I, if I make a loud sound, boom, they're out of there. No one was pursuing them, but they're just kittens. They're not lions yet. But, you know, that's, that's us without God. But yet it doesn't have to be that way, does it? Because I didn't finish the verse. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. They are as bold as a lion. Now, we got to kind of look at that thought of boldness because sometimes you think it's like bravado, you know, or just kind of put yourself out there. But it's, that's actually not really what it means. In the Hebrew, boldness means to have strong confidence, assurance, trust, to feel safe and secure without care or worry. That's really what that means. But the righteous are as confident, are trusting, they have the assurance as a lion. They're safe and secure without care or worry. So this thought of being like a lion with God, I mean, there is that thought of strength and overcoming our enemies and fighting. And there's a time for a lion to do that, how he gets his meals and fights against other beasts to protect his territory or whatever. But you know, what was really quickened to me is this thought that and this concept that a lion is really free from care and worry and fear. It has complete confidence. It can be at rest. And that's what God wants for us, to, to be in his pride, so to speak, because we're following the lion of the tribe of Judah. Another, I thought it, there was a little interesting side note in one of the uh, commentaries or dictionaries um, of this word of for bold in ancient Hebrew, um, there's also the thought of a melon. And it's the thought of a melon that's firmly attached, that's strongly attached to the vine. You know, if you shake the vine, that melon isn't going to just, you know, fall off. It's firmly attached. It doesn't easily get detached or fall away. You know, that's the confidence and the assurance that God wants us to have in him. He wants to give that to us in our relationship with him that we're like a lion. And when, you know, of course, the enemy out there, he's also like a lion and he's kind of roaring. We can roar right back. 
when we have that confidence and assurance in God. Now, there is one thing that really can be an enemy and try and undermine that confidence and that assurance that we have in God, and that is fear. You know, the enemy would love nothing better than just to fill us with a little fear. You know, not even make us totally berserk with fear, but if he can just put a little fear in our hearts, in our souls, so that we begin to lose that place of comfort, assurance with God. We start to fret. We start to worry, and it begins to erode our peace and our thought life, and it can lead to striving and frustration and doubt. Fear can be so destructive. And when we get there, it's all downhill from there when fear takes hold. What does the Bible have to say about fear? I think one of the kind of the cumulative verse that really describes fear and its effect on us, but also the remedy, is in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Isn't that right? When you're fearful about a situation and you know, you're worried about something and, and that takes hold, it's a torment. And that's why God does not want us to be fearful. His desire is for us not to be tormented with fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And so God wants us to know his love, which casts out fear. You know, fear can be a terrible en enemy. It can trouble our soul. But, but even worse is it interferes in our relationship with God and in the perfect work, right? As it, as it says, um, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. God is doing a work of completion, which is what that word perfect really means. It doesn't mean without any errors. It means complete in God. He wants to do that work of completion in us and boy, there's one thing that'll really bring that to a halt is fear. And so God in his love wants to do a deep work of completion, of perfection within us, in our character, in our speech, in our walk with him, where we're learning to trust in him and hear his voice day by day. One thing that totally will hinder that is fear. There's a lot of things we can fear. You know, we can fear loss or lack, deprivation, calamity, you know, trouble coming. Uh, but here's a big one that the Bible talks about. In Proverbs 29 and verse 25, it says, the fear of man brings a snare. It bring, is a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man. Fearing what man does to us or thinks of us or will say to us, that's a snare and it can kind of bind us and keep us from responding to God and obeying God. We have great difficulty escaping that once we're trapped, at least on our own anyway. We need God to spring that trap and get us, get us out of there. 
But I really think, you know, the, we, that is the fear of man, but I think it applies in general. When fear comes into our heart and into our life, it's like a snare that keeps us from moving on in God. And that snare needs to be cut. It needs to be broken. You know, when Jesus said, says to us like his disciples, launch out into the deep. You know, he told them to cast their nets for fish and to go out into the deep. You know, sometimes God can say that to us and we can resist it because of fear. What if I fail? What if, what will they say to me? What's going to happen? And that can keep us from launching out, from following the lamb wherever he leads us. What's the answer? Kind of touched on it, but back in 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You know, there has to be that realization on our part that God loves us, that he cares for us, that his plan and his perfect his plan is perfect towards our lives. He can care for us even better than we can care for ourselves, like much better. He knows the way. But you know, fear can be deep-seated. Isn't that kind of our first reaction to a troubling situation? It's, it's fear. And the and the what-ifs start to cycle in our mind. What if this happens or that happens and fear rises up? But we can combat that by reminding ourselves. And you know, there's there's God's work and there's our work. And, and our work usually is in the mind where we have to remind ourselves and proclaim to ourselves, you know, God is love. His love is perfect. He's going to care for us in a perfect way. If he cares for the birds of the air, how much more will he care for me in this situation and what we're going through? And if we'll place ourselves in his powerful hand and we rest in his love, then we'll be safe. His love will break through the fear in our lives if we will rest and let his let his the work of perfection start working in us you know start taking place there is one practical thing we can do though i'll just mention this um, as we're closing out but there's one practical thing we can do in fighting fear you know we can look to god and trust in his love but what what can we do that's practical that the scriptures mention. Now there is, there is something we can do and it's also related to that thought of the lion. I thought that was really interesting how God is calling us to be a lion and what does a lion do and how is that related? And to see this, I want to look back at a prophecy that was given to uh, the patriarch Jacob and it was concerning one of his sons. And in Genesis 49 and verse 9, it says, Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? Who shall come against him? And so Jacob's son, Judah, in prophecy, God is proclaiming him to be a lion's whelp or a lion's cub, one that will grow up so that everyone will be scared to mess with him, to face him. What does that mean for us? Right? The name Judah means the praise of God. And it comes from a, a root word meaning to give thanks, to laud, to praise. 
And so there is a very practical thing that we can do that, you know, we hear it so much in church and we think, well, I know that's what I have to do. But sometimes we forget the, the practical power of lifting our voice and praising God. And we can enter and we can know the, the truths of the Lion of Judah in our lives through boldness, having that strong confidence, through you know being fearless, but also by knowing the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who was the praise of God. You know, Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he came from Judah. That was his lineage. And Judah was often sent first into the battle. And so often, it's praise that's the first thing we have to look at when we want to get the victory. And so we want to know and experience a life of praise to God because praise is powerful. It can bring release. It can bring victory even at our darkest hour. Sometimes it's our darkest hour when we better be looking to the Lord and praising Him. And, right? and, and that's we see many examples of, in that of, of Scripture, in Scripture of that. And I think one of the premier stories, we bring this up all the time, don't we? Is Paul and Silas in that jail, the darkest hour of midnight. They were preaching the gospel. They were just obeying God and following his will. How many of us have been doing that? And calamity happens. Lord, I was just obeying your will. What's this about? Did I do something wrong? They didn't do anything wrong. They were opposed. They were beaten. Many stripes laid upon them, as, as it's described in the book of Acts. Put into prison. That would be kind of a downer. That would not make me a happy person, a happy camper, right? To be beaten, thrown in prison, and at midnight, I might be a little sulky. I don't know. But Paul and Silas, they were in prison. And in, in Acts 16.25, it says, at midnight, here's what they did. They decided to do. They chose to do. It says they prayed and sang praises unto God. And it wasn't like, you know, has, has God ever kind of quickened you? Okay, you need to rejoice. And so you're just, praise the Lord for he is good. It says they sang and prayed and the other prisoners heard them. That It wasn't a quiet praise meeting. They were rejoicing so that all the other prisoners heard them. I, I, maybe, I don't know what if they appreciated that at midnight, but there you go. But then there was a result. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. At the darkest hour, they lifted up their voice in praise. Probably didn't, they didn't feel like doing it in their flesh. Their flesh was hurting. But in their spirits, they knew the avenue to victory, the pathway to victory is through praising God. Now, I would love to say that every time we sing, immediately the doors fly open and the bands are loosed. God was doing that in that story, in that situation for them. But yet it's indicative of if we take that big view, that's what happens ultimately because it will lead to victory. It might take a few sessions of praise, 
It might take many sessions of praise, but praise is the way to victory, to overcoming. And the doors opened up, the shackles fell off. You know, that's an illustration of the power of God that can flow in our lives when we send Judah first. When we lift up our voice in praise to the Lord. One last example. We'll close. But this is from the Old Testament. It's where we see how praise can be uh, a mighty weapon in our arsenal. And this is the story from, from Second Chronicles. Remember the story of King Jehoshaphat? And he's facing uh, enemies, uh, an enemy army coming against him of Ammon and Moab. They gathered against Judah. And it says this in Second Chronicles 20, 17. God was speaking to them and said, you don't need to fight this battle. That was probably good news for them because they were maybe a little, I wouldn't say fearful, but concerned. And God says, you don't need to fight. Set yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. The Lord will be with you. Really what he was saying is, I'm going to fight for you. But how did that battle take place? It wasn't a normal battle. In fact, this is kind of unique in Scripture. And other Scriptures of David and, and Solomon are different ones who fought battles. Well, Solomon didn't fight many battles at the end. But other kings, they fought battles. They had to send their armies out to different ways with different strategies and David would seek the battle plan of the Lord. But this battle plan, I think, speaks directly to us as New Testament saints because he wanted to show the power of praise. In, in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 21, it says, when he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that sh they should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. That was the strategy, not to send out the horsemen or the chariots or the best warriors. They sent out the singers. They sent out the, the praise team to go out and fight the battle. And when they began, verse 22, when they began to sing and praise the Lord, or praise, the Lord fought for them. The Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which came against Judah, and they were smitten. They were defeated because God did it for them, because they sent Judah first. It's that unique battle in Scripture. They didn't even need to draw their sword in the natural. The battle happened in the spirit. You know, they went out. They had to go out into the wilderness. They had to go out and face them. They couldn't just sit in their, at home and sing. God had to lead them through the wilderness for a time. But when they trusted God, God fought for them. And that, that's such a good picture of what God wants us to do. Thank God we don't have to have swords at home and pull them out and go fight. We have the sword of the Spirit that we fight with, and we have our voices that we can lift up. And you know, as His church, we know the days that we're living in and the days we're coming into that we're called to fight spiritual battles. We have to be so careful of being, getting our eyes on the natural. We're called to fight spiritual battles and to be led by God to fight those. And how are we going to fight? 
through praise, through worship, through the ability to lift up our voice in some very difficult and dark situations in the wilderness. We take our eyes off the situation, even if many stripes have been laid upon us. Sometimes people can even say things against us and it just feels like a stripe and then another stripe and they just keep going. But what do we do? Do we start to lay stripes back on them? Or do we lift our eyes to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you. You receive stripes and if I have to receive a couple, praise the Lord. Well, actually, if, we, if we're uh, being totally scriptural, he said in Luke that we need to leap for joy when we're persecuted. But if we'll keep our eyes upon him, no matter how powerful or big the enemy at one point, the Antichrist himself is going to come against the church. But this same principle still applies, that we keep our eyes upon the Lord and we praise and we worship him. And that's how we can win our battles. That's how the chains fall off, the doors open up, and the enemy gets defeated as we set our heart and our voice to praise God. And so in our lives, in our hearts, let's purpose to be a people of praise unto our God. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lion of Judah, that you have overcome, you've conquered the enemy, you've conquered death. Oh God, we just thank you. We just want to look to you. And Lord, we pray that you would do that perfect work, that complete work in us, that you'd make us like the Lion. Lord, we want to be strong like you, but Lord, almost even more than that, we want to be able to rest with you and follow you and to keep our eyes upon you. And Lord, we, we know the part of that fighting fear that would come as being a people of praise. And Lord, we just cry out to you that you would work within us, that you would remind us and that you would turn our hearts to be those who would lift up their eyes unto you from where our help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth. And we would be those who would rejoice in you. Oh, do that work within us. Make us a rejoicing people. And Lord, we do praise you. We worship you. Oh, because you're so worthy of it. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.